You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommy While Muslim. This is Uzma Jaffrey. And this is Saba Hassan. For some reason, I swallowed my smoothie and now I feel it stuck in my throat. We can eat and drink again, which is always still so weird. But Uzma, my dearest, how was your week to, this week while I get my throat back up and ready to yeah. go? <laughs> yeah, this is why I tell you not to drink those healthy smoothies because there's always too much fiber getting stuck in the back it's of your the throat. Kale. And then- it's the kale. Get stuck at the top, and then I promise you, I'll get stuck at the bottom too. No, I don't need that that image. Oh my god! (laughs) So this week was fun because if you guys have been following along, then you know that I renovated a house from top to bottom and Mm -hmm. moved in last year. And for some reason, I still feel like with a renovation, it should have been turnkey when I moved in. But as it turns out, guys, when you move into a brand new place, there's always work that needs to be done. And this week, my master bedroom is finally being done. Like my happy, safe space, my quiet space is being built. My sanctuary is being finished. And it's been a long time coming. And I'm very, very excited about it. And I might start podcasting from my bed. Oh my gosh, I would love when that. When it's done. Because right? then it, it would be like, I'm getting that, that peaceful vibes because your room yes. is looking beautiful, mashallah. Inshallah, yeah. I'm loving it. How was it. your week? You know, I am um, wrapping up one of my courses. So that's always Yay. so fun because I'm getting, you know, you could start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, not that it's, you know, lessening my load. <laughs> at all but I do feel like it's a little bit harder going back to school um in your you know later years I have to say just because you (laughs) it's not that you don't have the energy but it is that um and plus you just have a lot more responsibilities right like so as I'm trying to write a paper I have somebody coming up to me and doing this I have somebody saying could you quiz me on here you just have just you know your hands in so many different pots that it's hard to prioritize and then you feel guilty for letting some of the balls drop and you know that constant feeling of am I forgetting something am I not but I'm enjoying the process so much that I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. So I am fatigued. I am tired, but I didn't get that this chance, you know, because I did become a mom a little bit earlier um, and I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying it. So I'm just going to keep sticking to it. And, and I have to say it is such a good example. I'm admitting this to myself for my daughter, for my sons to show like, you know, I didn't get it. There are multiple chances in life. That's the truth of it. And, you know, I didn't have that opportunity the first time around. I'm taking the opportunity the second time around. um, And I'm getting it done. And I think as an older student, I have to say I'm enjoying the process so much more. So, inshallah, 
I am citing my sources and getting the good <laughs> grades, and I'm definitely proud of myself for that. But I am interested to hear what our soapbox for the week is, Ozma, because I'm always curious to see what you have to say about all of that. 100%. I do want to say how proud I am of you for taking on so much and Thank going back you. to school because, like you said, I mean, we talk about modeling the behavior we, we model the people that we want our kids to be. And I think mm -hmm. you're doing that in the most beautiful way. And I'm very Thank proud of you. you. And um, I'm so happy that you're citing your sources and your papers. So you yes. Thank you for doing so that. So the big fat <laughs> F that I got in my first paper, going to admit it, going to admit it. I forgot to cite my references. Sorry. But she I'm won't do that again. doing that again. <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk today about... Uh, the ceasefire in Gaza. So Israel finally decided, as gracious and wonderful as they are, to provide a ceasefire and stop pummeling the tiny territory of Gaza with um, their targeted missiles. Uh, that ceasefire lasted a whole 12 hours before soldiers, police, uh, militarized police, of course, started showing up at the Aqsa compound and firing tear gas and rubber bullets at worshipers on the High Holy Day for Muslims, which is Friday afternoons um, for the prayer. Uh, there is no information currently on what precipitated the fire. Uh, the only thing that we can think of is the same thing that started before the uh, initial attacks on the Aqsa compound on the 10th of May. And that was that people were gathering during Ramadan to pray. And the only other thing that Palestinians were doing now at the Aqsa compound were was gathering for their Friday prayer, which they have done since time immemorial or for the last 1500 years of Islam. Uh, we're not sure what this is going to mean, but I have money on but Hamas which I think are the two key words and the two are the one argument that we hear repeatedly is but Hamas. So Hamas started firing rockets on Israel in retaliation for the occupation of the Aqsa compound, which is not allowed um, under international law. And they fired the rockets and then Israel, we know what they did. And uh, I believe that as a result of the breaking of the ceasefire by what appears to be Israel, Hamas will fire again. And when that happens, Israel will continue its pummeling of the Gaza Strip and uh, continue destroying people that they destroyed in 2014 and 2018, and then even a little bit last year. So um, stay tuned for more on that. Also today at... Um, Earlier today, you will have seen our power panel when there are no safe spaces by Palestinian mom sisters who are very much voiced and will be taking our platform in order to talk about their experiences, not to educate, but in order to share those narratives because we are seeing a drastic shift in the narrative about Palestine and Israel that maybe people were not ready to digest, but the power of social media is such that you don't have any option but to see the truth. For many, many years, it could be hidden. For many, many years, it could be propagandized. That is not working anymore. We say it all the time time. Fake news existed all of our lives as Muslims in America. Zeba and I can attest to that as children who were born and raised here, um, as women who were born and raised here. And now we are seeing um, kind of 
part of that fake news machine breaking down, hopefully to the advantage of our Palestinian brothers and sisters. So we do hope you stay tuned for that. We do hope that you get involved in boycott, divestment, and sanction actions. And if you want to find out more about what the BDS movement is, go back and listen to our episode from July 25th, 2019, when we talk about how boycott, uh, anti-boycott divestment sanctions um, that particular movement that prevents the economic and academic boycotting of Israel and Israeli products, um, how that affects our American civil rights. This is something that has been going on for a very long time. And we hope that while you're getting yourself well-versed in Palestine, in Gaza, in um the Israeli war machine. We hope that you take a listen to that and not bandwagon your support for Philistine, but make sure that you are here for the long haul as we believe that we all need to be. That's our soapbox for today. Thank you for that. It's, it's, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but before we get into today's episode, I, again, I'd like to say we are a very much an interfaith podcast. We believe in dialogue. We believe in the exchange of ideas and and trying to find the commonality. But, you know, as I'm reading more, part of what you learn, you know, what I'm learning through my mediation classes right now is that both sides have to agree that there are some commonalities that need to be agreed on. And I fear that in this particular circumstance, we're so far apart from each other that that might be a little bit more difficult. So I'm going to continue to hold on to hope for that because obviously nobody wants to see children of any side getting killed. I mean, that's just not something we we believe in here either. Um, so, you know, like as I mentioned, the BDS movement, you know, power of the pocket is always something that we can do and we can control um, regardless of, you know, your political stance is something that we, uh, you know, on a humanitarian effort need to understand, you know, nobody, nobody wants this type of um, this type of killing to continue. So I don't know, I just kind of had to, I'm not part of your soapbox, but it's just something that I, I wrestle with, you know, as doing all the interfaith work that we, we do, how do we get to that, that middle ground that we need to get to in order to have the safe um, and appropriate dialogue. But perhaps we have, we say that for another podcast, as I like to say, um, we're going or to for con- our panel. Or for our panel. We're, we'll talk about mm-hmm. it. You know, we're going to give that, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll push that to um, another time zone. Um, we're going to get the time zones correct this time. Um, this <laughs> month's Mommies in the Mudget continues as we discuss all male panels. And, you know, we've seen them. We've seen them plenty of times. And they're usually all male, male uncles. The uncles that are like mm-hmm. shushing us from the sidelines, um, shushing us as adults from the sidelines. Let's just be honest about that. Um, but they're both in the audience and the expert spaces and at conference and seminars. These underrepresented panels are hurting our institutions and driving financially independent and Islamically educated women like ourselves away from the massages and Islamic organizations. We are putting our children in Sunday schools 
from our homes, people, since many of us had to learn how to live without the masajids and masjids during the key parts of our worship. Are we going to go back to it if we continue to be underrepresented there? I'm not quite sure about that, but we do know we have been following one person that we might if she's anywhere near us, it's Hindamukki, and that's like I know that's how she pronounces it. So I want to make sure I'm saying it correctly. Let's put on our seatbelts for her streamlined, and this is super streamlined bio because she has a bio like as long as my wingspan, which is pretty long with basketball standards. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, and she is a second generation um, Sudanese American graduate of Brown university with a degree in international relations. Um, she had, she is an educator uh, for the Institute of, for social policy and understanding, which is also ISPU, Hind helped spark the national conversation focusing on women in the mosque in 2012, way before we started talking about it. Let's just be honest, which is kind of like what we're talking about this month. And she did it like almost 10 years a ago. A decade ago. Oh, oh my God. You know, that that's a long... We're, I mean, <laughs> the fact that we can say multiple decades, that's a blessing. Let's just be honest. Her activism but. has spurred the Islamic Society of North America's Mosque Inclusion Task Force formation. Subsequent white paper, Isna released... It's a white paper, Isna? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Isna released a white paper statement. Oh, including women in the masjid. She also serves as an advisor to the ISPU's Reimagining Muslim Spaces Project. Her interfaith work is extensive. She is also the former core leader at the Muslim Anti-Race Collaborative, another organization we love and we obviously support here at Mommy Wall Muslim. We are so giddy about her role as the founder of the side entrance. And we're going to talk about that um, as an award-winning website documenting Muslim women's Prayer experiences, and let me be honest, we have all had them. Hind was also featured as CNN's 25 influential influential American Muslims in 2018. And, of course, she's adding being a podcast guest here at Mommy Wall Muslim. So we are, that makes it on her bio. I mean, hello. She's going to put that in her bio because I know we're putting <laughs> her on our bio, and we are so excited to have her here today. And thank you so much for joining us on Momming Well Muslim. Thank Assalamu you. Alaikum. Thank you so much, Zeba and Uzma, and Uzma, for the invitation. I love your podcast. Um, I love oh, that you all you. have a podcast. I think these are stories that are underrepresented that for too long, <laughs> unheard. Um, and so I definitely believe not in speaking on behalf of others, but on literally passing the mic <laughs> to people mm-hmm. who have underrepresented stories. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and to discuss with you all this really important topic. Yeah, awesome. So we usually kick off by asking our guests to tell us their mom story, or if they don't have any kids, tell us about your mom and her influence on your work today. Sure. Okay. So I don't have any kids, um, uh, but that doesn't stop me, of course, from advocating on behalf of all moms uh, and their kids in in mosques uh, and in religious spaces, which we can talk about. Um, And I'll tell you a little bit about my mom. Uh, my mom is actually uh, not just my mom, but she was also my teacher, like literally my teacher in high school. Oh. My mother is uh, an Islamic school uh, teacher. She's the uh, head of the Arabic and religion department at Aqsa High School um, outside of Chicago. 
This high school was the very first all-girls Islamic high school that was established in the United States. So I actually have to tell you a little bit about this school. So I attended there from eighth grade um, through through uh, my senior year. So I graduated from there. It's all girls. All of the teachers are women. Not all are Muslim, Love that. right? So, and um, what does that mean? That means your religion teachers are Muslim, your Arabic teachers are Muslim, your Quran teachers, or sorry, they're all women. You know, you're learning your faith from women. You're learning history and English and mathematics from women. If you're a girl and you're a jock, if you're a girl and you're into politics, you're a girl, you're into, you know, photography, that space was completely cultivated and encouraged by your female teachers and by the, the sisterhood that um, has developed in that school. Of course, it's not all perfect. You know, teenage girls are also not perfect. And so there were, you know. <laughs> That's putting it lightly. Right? Let's just be real. Exactly. <laughs> the, so so that, that, that was my mom. My mom was my Arabic and religion uh, Quran teacher. And so um, I grew up with, uh, you know, Alhamdulillah, with the privilege of having a mom who not only had access to religious sciences, but was also a teacher of religious sciences, um, mm. not only in the school, but also she would give lectures, and she still does, to women uh, and girls in Arabic and English in the community. The other thing I wanted to mention about my school is that while I w when, I, when I was a student there in the 90s, so I'm dating myself, uh, we did not have a building. So where mm. were we housed? We were housed in the mosque. So that meant wow. five days a week from 7.45 to almost 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We're at the mosque. The mosque was literally overrun <laughs> with teenage girls, uh, some of whom wore headscarves, others didn't. Um, people from mostly Arab backgrounds, but other backgrounds as well. And we prayed Dhuhr and oftentimes Maghrib, uh, Asur and Maghrib as well in the mosque. We prayed uh, Friday prayers in the mosque. We prayed if there was a janazah, if there was um, a solar eclipse, right? We mm -hmm. were in the mosque and oftentimes we were the only people who were praying along with the imam, the muazzin and like a couple of other men. And at that time we were actually in the musalla, in the main uh, prayer sanctuary, which today is exclusively for men. And actually, as I was growing up in this mosque community, when I was a child, even younger than teenage years, women uh, prayed in the sanctuary, in the musalla, without a barrier behind the men, i.e. the prophetic sunnah, right? Mm -hmm. um, and as the community expanded and grew, uh, women were then shifted um, for the major prayers, for Jum'ah, for Taraweeh, to the school, uh, the school rooms that I was in, right, with the removable walls, with like Amelia Earhart on the walls, mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, you know Shakespeare on the walls, exactly. So, and then and those were still upstairs. And then I think I was about fifteen or sixteen years old when we were shifted down to the basement um, with, you know. And that was our rec hall. That was our rec center as a school. Like our lockers were, you know, in the side. That was a place where we had lunch. You know, that that's how I kind of viewed that space. Uh, today, they, you know, especially after the school moved into its own building, 
uh, which I always tell girls today. I'm like, you kids, you don't know how great you have it. Back in my day. Back in my day. You have a swimming pool. I mean, like, I know. I mean, I would. I don't think I would trade that necessarily for the ability to pray five days a week in the musalla. <laughs> but, but still, the, the swimming pool is pretty awesome. Um, yeah. And, and so once the school moved out and they have their own building, the mosque completely remodeled the space. And today, I mean, you know, pl- 20 plus years later, um, women are still in the basement. And I'll actually mm-hmm. share with you all some photos of this. It's not like some dank, you know, dingy basement. It's very beautiful. It's pretty well lit. It's very clean. But it's still, you know, a basement. A basement. So, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's a slightly little bit of my mom's uh, uh, influence on me. Um you know, again, like I mentioned, I have always been, I'm, I've been lucky and I feel that privilege that I completely trust if I have a question about the Quran, if I have a question about this hadith that sounds off, like what's that all about? Um, or Quran 434, like she was the first person um, that I learned from uh, what you might term or what some people might term an alternative uh, interpretation that it's not about physical <laughs> abuse, mm-hmm. but also this idea that the word daraba means to essentially hit the road as well. Mm-hmm. And so, this, uh, you know, later for me anyway, Dr. Amina Wadud and other people, you know, kind of had a linguistic interpretation of that ayah. Um, but but I learned that from my mom, and that's essentially my mom's story. And I try to, you know, when I think of women in the mosque, I think of, you know, um, the idea of who we're serving, people like me, people like the girls I went to high school with, our families, our moms. When I think of especially like who can, who is the community not benefiting from, the wide community? It's people like my mom and, and her circle of friends who are mm-hmm. highly educated, who are trained in the Islamic sciences, some of whom choose to only teach women. Others, you know, that's just essentially the space that they were placed in. Right. And so then they, you know, there's some structural barriers uh, for many women to be able to pursue Islamic knowledge in the traditional way to come and say, I have this ijaza, I have that ijaza from this university or that, um, you know, uh, place. And then then today you get people to say, well, OK, well, that lady, you know, she might be educated or she might be a pious woman, but she doesn't have the exact same credentials that a male might have, uh, even if, you know, she's been a teacher, respected um, and uh, completely validated by the imams of her mosque for 40 years. And this is not just about my mom, <laughs> I promise, but, yeah. but it's about the moms in my community, many of whom are like my mom, honestly. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a huge asset that we don't get to tap into. Besides not serving those assets, mm-hmm. not letting them be of service, I think is a huge detriment to our masjid families and our community. I saw that in my community, which in a lot of ways is a really warm and wonderful community, um, that unfortunately you might, you might describe at that time as uh, insular or in a bubble. And I realized, I saw, I didn't even realize, I saw when I would see um, not just the leaders of of my particular local community, but just across the country, that a lot of immigrant Muslim uh, leaders, they just were not able to translate culturally our values 
to the people who are watching them or people people who are in the audience like at interfaith events and I'd love to talk to you more about what you said about the interfaith conversation earlier at the top but um people who are there already like you're preaching to the choir they want to learn more about Islam they're open to wanting to to, to learning and to being in solidarity with their neighbors but then they're just hearing some dry kind of esoteric conversation about the five pillars uh, you know and it's yes. just like what you, Nobody what wants to hear that right now. Nobody and, wants to hear yeah. that. We can Google that. Exactly. Now we can Google exactly. that. You, you can Google Here's that. Here's a pamphlet. If you want to know, this is what I would say. If you want to know more about X and Y and Z, there's some pamphlets at the door, but this is what we're here to talk about today. Exactly. There's seven different pamphlets printed very poorly <laughs> exactly. in bad English. And that, and that, that really <laughs> awful paper that gives you the willies when you touch them. Oh, yeah. Them. And, yes. and, and, and the dye comes off in your hands. <laughs> but like, you know, the they process. They did the best they can, guys. They did. They we did. have to remember that. Okay? And Allah will reward yes. them for that, you know, honestly. Allah yes. will reward yeah. them. They did the best they can. Yeah. But we can still make fun of them because they they're ours, so we can make fun of them. But no, no one else can they're make fun of them. Nobody else can make fun of them, but we can because yeah, they're us, our exactly. So you yeah. know how the Prophet Sallallahu was described as a walking Qur'an, right? So, like, yeah. people can Google the Qur'an. They'll probably get very bad, like, English translations of it. But people can read the Qur'an. But people need, but people, most people won't. Like, you're going to be the Qur'an, you're going to be the message of Islam that people are going to see. And so, um, you're going to be a literal walking Qur'an. You're only going to be able to make change when you embrace it, right? And and to and truth be told, and I've said this before, like, I feel like like I can do, I, I can't, I'm not going to speak for Uzma where this is concerned. I can be the Muslim that I can be, and I want to be here in America. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could do this anywhere else, or, or even be able to speak on a platform that we're speaking on right now in any other country. So that's the one thing that we have to be mindful of. And I love what you just said, um, Hind, and we're going to, we're going to bring this back to the mantles because I think that that's a a term you coined, you know, and, and, you know, we do have to tell the uncles, thank you so much for taking us to those things in those rallies and all of that. But you know what? You can retire now. (laughs) Enjoy the fruits of your labor. You have sons and daughters that are fully capable of taking over and and grandchildren at this yeah. point, grandchildren. So yep. can we please enjoy them? Just like hug them, hug them. Mm-hmm. You can move on and let us do our thing. So first of all, let's talk about mantles. Mm-hmm. What is it? And two, why is it bad okay. for our community to have all mantles? Mm-hmm. So I did not come up with the term mantle. <laughs> that was that was kind of in flotation. I think I got it from like the science Twitter community. Okay. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> they were like, you know, no more mantle. Twitter's contribution to English cannot be <laughs> under underplayed. Exactly. I did. I did, however, come up with the phrase the hashtag Muslim male allies. More on that in a second. Um, and Ooh. honestly, I was thinking about my dad and other and other you know Muslim male allies. But okay, so what is a mantle? A mantle is an all male panel uh, on a panel that has no reason to be an all male panel. <laughs> uh, and uh, it is, you know, for example, um, 
There was a famous picture a few years ago that it became infamous um, of a woman, a conference about women's rights in, I think, Saudi Arabia or somewhere in the Middle East. And the conference. I don't think it would be in Saudi Arabia. Am I going to get in trouble for saying that out loud? It was one of the Gulf countries. (laughs) Like, are they going to are they going to put a foot flaw against me? Because I doubt that a woman. No hunch for you. (laughs) I don't know. know, It was it was definitely in a Gulf country, and you know, said you know, like like women's rights conference. And everybody in the room, and like ballroom, like thousands, like maybe a thousand people were there. Everyone was male. Yeah. And so, like, the, this, this, um, it became kind of infamous. Like, what are you talking about? Like, how are you going to be, like, you can't uh, talk about us without us, right? And yes. The, so, that's, that's one aspect of an all male panel about a topic that does not need to be all male. Why? Because your yes. audience is not all male. And here, yes. I want to maybe rebut, like, you know, some pushbacks that that folks give, like, okay, a man can be, you know, an expert on, you know, a million different things. And he's an expert on on this topic. And that's what the topic of the panel is. Great. He's an expert on it. But that doesn't mean that he's always thinking about the experience of the female members of his audience. And this doesn't mean that there's bad intentions. So I want to give a a little example of that. It's not quite a panel, but, you know, there's, um, you know, a a talib of al-ilm, a student of knowledge. Uh, This just, this last Ramadan who posted a really helpful kind of thing on Facebook where he said, you know, if you want to complete reading the Quran by the end of Ramadan, just read one juz a day, right? And then so I said, okay, thank you very much. If you're a woman and you are experiencing menstruation, don't read one juz a day because you're not going to finish the Quran, right? I said, you know, think about doing it like one and a half juz or 1.75 juz a day if you can. Um, and then he said, oh, thank you. Like, like it was like a thing of like he wasn't thinking about that so that's mm-hmm. that's one of the, the challenges if you have an all-male panel even if they are experts in their field even if they have all the best intentions even if they know what the rules are for uh, you know um and the fatwas are for women right like most male scholars know about like menstruation and like okay that generally most muslims agree that women don't pray or fast during menstruation um but you can do other things right so they know that but they're not necessarily going to bring that when they have a spiritual or educational uh, panel on on women or, or, or uh, sorry on on Ramadan because they're not th- their normative audience is male because their normative perspective is a male one. That's why I think we need to have women um, on panels. And also, by the way, it's not just women. Like I believe that we need to have completely mixed panels we should have panels like if you're especially if you're a national organization yes and you have access to national speakers there's no reason why your panels and especially these panels with like eight people for some reason because folks are on zoom now and people are Mm -hmm. setting aside two hours for events there's no reason why you can't have a nice healthy mix of sunni and shia black and white south asian Arab, Latino, you know, East Asian, Muslim, young yes. and old, right? Like people yes. in college and our, el- and, and our elders yes. and everyone in between. And, and geographic diversity because people, yes. you know, 
you know, people, I, and I, you know, I got this when I was earlier in my career doing work around immigration rights, meeting with Muslims in the South, um, in like Tennessee and, and, and other places in the South. Texas, Texas where they say they have a different, like, they have a different context of what immigration looks like for them or the immigration, the state laws around immigration than, you know, in the Midwest or in the North. And I wouldn't even have put to think that in my mind if I didn't meet this person and, and, and listen to them about kind of their engagement with evangelical Christians and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, that's why all male panels should totally be canceled. By the way, canceling is not a bad thing. I don't even mm-hmm. think canceling is the word. I think it's held accountable. It's accountability. Yes. Right? Um, and let's do the best that we can to represent uh, the people that we have, represent the amount of knowledge and the diversity of knowledge that we have and represent the the experiences and actually teach to the experiences of our audience. I feel like, you know, it's also a PR issue. So can you talk mm-hmm. optics oh, yeah. of manals to both Muslim, modern Muslim audiences as well as, you know, a yeah. growing non-Muslim audience that is approaching us and saying, hey, we want to do these open houses. We want to attend and we want to see what you Muslims are really about. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So one of the number one stereotypes, and you can argue whether it's a stereotype or not, that American, uh, non-Muslim Americans have of Islam is that it is a sexist religion, that it is against mm-hmm. women. This is based off of data that ISPU, the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding, um, you know, that I'm affiliated with, has has done repeatedly over the years. Like, Americans, like, that has stayed. Like, generally, even if people, Americans' views on Muslims in general, or Americans' views on, are Muslims a terror threat to the United States, that, mm-hmm. that has kind of uh, shifted um, throughout the years. But the, the, the belief that Islam as a religion is anti-woman, that, it, that hijab as a, a thing or a headscarf as a thing itself is debasing to women. Um, mm-hmm. The views that women have literally half the rights of men in Islam, right? The, the mistaken belief of that. That is st- stable in terms of a thought that our uh, fellow Americans have of Muslims. And so imagine a nice, you know, Christian, Jewish, you know, atheist, liberal person. Wiccan. Wiccan. (laughs) Wanting to come to the mosque open house and saying, oh, like, I want to support you because, you know, uh, yeah, like the the Muslim ban, it was terrible, (laughs) whatever it is. And they go to the mosque and all of the speakers, all the Muslim speakers are men. And the Muslim women are maybe nowhere to be, se- to be seen. And then maybe the female speaker who's there is not Muslim, and she's the only um, woman who's in the mosque, the main musalla of the mosque. So we are, in this way, manals are reinforcing the existing mm-hmm. belief of our fellow Americans that Islam is anti-women yes. or that women are second-class citizens in Islam. And then for, for Muslims, and, and that's like the easiest thing to like to, to, to say no, because Islam is very clear, I think, that men and women are equal in the sight of Allah. But anyway, really? um, and for Muslims, uh, that's also the case. A lot of Muslims believe Islam is uh, a misogynist religion. One. Yeah. Right. And then two, there now you have a movement of women and men, ally, hashtag Muslim allies, who will mm-hmm. call out 
mosques and organizations who have manals. Like they literally will share the flyer on Facebook or WhatsApp groups and then have a coordinated call um, to, that to that mosque uh, or emails. And then many times, like more than I can count on my hand, if the mosque doesn't respond or doesn't, or they respond in a condescending or the typical, oh, we tried to reach out to this mythical unicorn woman and she, <laughs> the one that we have in our Rolodex, and she said that she's not available. Um, but you know what? We're going to, we were asking now, like two other unicorn women, um, they also, like the, these activists will also call local media. And a, a couple of years ago, like, um, maybe three years ago like 2020 is essentially like a void in my brain yeah it's You're like what year is it two years ago can we get can we get a can we get a do-over on 2020 please, yeah. please. no i do not want to do <laughs> this is too much let's just like let's black it out and like it's kind of like yeah, yeah. so um you know they there was a mosque i want to say somewhere in the east coast i don't know if it was in massachusetts or somewhere in new england um where they ended up you know calling local media and local media made a conversation about it like why why are there no women allowed uh to enter your mosque for i think it was aid prayer or ramadan prayer and so muslims themselves are not are not going to take it anymore because it's really important mm -hmm. to have that representation like if a mosque or an organization is self-describing as um, an authority, maybe not capital A authority, but an authority, an educational religious authority. And they're asking us to give them money <laughs> to perpetuate yes. their authority. Um, well, I mean, are you really serving me? Like, mm -hmm. I refuse. Like, I have now made a decision. I've publicly said it. Like, I don't donate to mosques that um, don't have spaces for women. Period. Yeah, like, 100%. it's just, I mean, it's like the very base, it's like the small, like the lowest level of, um, you know. Fulfilling. No. Exactly. Yeah. It's like you can't even make the space. It's crazy. <laughs> um, I, I'm just in love with that. And I know that there was, a, I feel like it was also a couple of years ago when there was an all male panel that was, um, that you demonstrated to the rest of us. And I think it was the first time I ever looked at that flyer mm -hmm. closely. So like literally within the last five years is when I finally was like, Hey, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and why did it take so long for me to wake up? And I just think that, you know, we've all been busy with other stuff and now we have all of these privileges, including the resources and the time. And now that our kids are a little bit older, the energy mm -hmm. to see these things that need to be done better. Yeah. Um, that, you know, maybe they did serve some very important roles back in the day when we were establishing these institutions, but now they're not serving our kids. They're certainly not serving us mm -hmm, as mothers mm -hmm. um, and as mothers of daughters, for sure. And we talked earlier about the ISNA statement on including women in the masjid. Mm -hmm. And so for those who don't know, we do have a large um, non-Muslim audience. ISNA is the Islamic Society of North America, which is the largest loosely governing body of Muslims in North America, so Canada, the United States, and you know, to some degree, Mexico. I've honestly not seen Mexico represented, and I apologize on behalf of ISNA. I'm not a representative of ISNA, by the way. Um, I was just putting it out there. So on their paper, they talk about the two hadiths that are often quoted 
um, to justify not including and not representing women in these religious spaces, spaces, whether it's a masjid or whether it's a religious organization. And one of them is the hadith that the best place for a woman to pray is her home. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why I'm going to quote these is because this is exactly why when I was in college, I had to fight with my subcontinental father to go to the masjid because he staunchly believed in this. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, you know, there was another story about Omar that he, Omar radiallahu anhu that he told me, and I will not share that right now because it's not in the Isna paper. The second hadith is the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha that had the Prophet sallallahu been alive today, he would not have allowed the women to go to the masjid. So Hind, mm-hmm. um, Isna does a great job of talking about the paper, but it is a white paper and it is very dry and very boring. <laughs> if you would like to read it, it will be in our show notes. But Hind, if you could talk specifically to these two hadith, because you know, it's not just men that are perpetuating these hadiths as reasons to exclude women and not represent women. It's a lot of women mm-hmm. that quote these two hadith and say that, oh, this is why women should not be in these spaces. Yeah. Okay, so um, yes, you're correct that it's a white paper. It was kind of a, a, a statement that they made in 2015 after working for a year with the Fiqh Council of North America. And so the Fiqh Council is a body that is affiliated with ISNA. Um, and it is, again, North uh, Canada and the United States. Again, I don't think that there's anyone representing Mexico in that body. Um, and they essentially, they, they make religious statements, fatwas, which are legal, non-binding legal opinions uh, for the believing community. And they have Sunni and Shia, and they have men and women. And they have a racial, a pretty pr- fairly impressive racial diversity considering um, Okay, and so that fifth council, they spent a year um, along with members of the committee that of which I was in to come up to come up with this uh, unanimous agreement to that statement. Um, it was about three pages long in 2015, and in 2018, the fifth council actually made it into an official fatwa. So there, there is mm-hmm. now like essentially legal, non-binding legal backing for this statement. So okay. hashtag. Not Sharia law. Hashtag, yeah. Hashtag not Sharia law. Hashtag just a recommendation based on Islamic. Strong recommendation. Very strong recommendation um, to mosques and and to Muslim communities. I want to tackle the Aisha hadith first. So Aisha, radiallahu anha, the wife of the Prophet, who had narrated like the most hadiths from the Prophet. She was closest, Mm -hmm. physically closest to him. Um, and was a celebrated teacher, especially among um, you know Sunni Muslims. She, after the Prophet's passing, was uh, narrated to have said, uh, you know, that had the Prophet been alive today and seen the way women dress and behave and perfume themselves um, at the mosque, he he would have banned women from from entering the mosque. So Islamic law, actual Sharia. <laughs> is not derived uh, based on what um, the wife of the prophet would have done, yeah. would have done. Or, or like yeah. the opinion of the closest, com- even the closest companions of the prophet. And even, even sometimes the opinion of the prophet. And before anyone attacks me on that, you know, in the prophet's lifetime, there were some times where he would make a suggestion for something and the companions around him would say, is this from you or is this from God? Right? Mm-hmm. Or his wives. And so if it's from God, the understanding is, okay, this is binding. 
if it's from you, maybe it's good to do or it's nice or I want to be closer to you. So I'm going to, you know, do like I recently learned a few years ago that the Prophet so I said, I'm like pumpkin or, you know, and so I'm like, oh, I like pumpkin too, but I don't like it sweet. And so now that now when I cook with pumpkin or any squash, I think, oh, like I'm, you know, cooking something that the Prophet might might have liked. So, so, um, so that's. But it's not like binding on all Muslims to love. You must eat pumpkin. Must for eat the pumpkin. Rest of I don't like pumpkin. I'm just going to uh, say that right more now. For me. Okay. <laughs> My southern heart is breaking. The, the point is here that like Islamic law is not derived based on the opinion of people. Um, you know, even if they say that he might have done this, uh, and and so just because she said that was her opinion, that was not Islamic law. That that was supposed to be my quick one. <laughs> <laughs> um, the second hadith um, is about uh, about um, Um Humayn. She was a companion of the Prophet. She she was married. She had children, and she and her community lived far away from Medina, the city of the Prophet, and where like the polity that the Prophet and the the uh, many of the other companions lived in. And she would you know kind of make the trek late at night or early in the morning, whatever you want to, however you want to think about that early morning prayer from her, you know, village or from her area to the prophet's mosque. It's dangerous. This is like, nobody had cell phones. Um, mm-hmm. You're in the desert. It's at night. And I live in Phoenix. There's scorpion. Oh Ooh, scorpions. No, 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 uh-huh. no. Thank you. Tarantulas and, too, right? Coyotes. and uh, Brown recluse. Ooh. Ooh. No, No, thank you. Um, And so her husband was not happy with the situation. So she would she would continue to go to the prophet's mosque and she would say, you know, uh, the prophet praying with the prophet and praying in community. You know, you get a lot of reward and I want to be in. I want to get the reward of praying with the prophet. But it's causing this marital strife. And the prophet, peace be upon him, told her for, uh, you know, your prayer in your home is better for you, as in like your prayer in your home will also give you the same reward as praying for me. Why? Because it's, you know, creating peace in her, in her home and yeah. um, she's being safe, right, in, in praying. So so then she then she requested to her family, okay, then I'm going to have a little prayer room in the darkest, perhaps she said this, in, in, in a corner in my home. Now, Many people who are opposed to women praying in the mosque or being in the mosque or being in public at all as Muslims will point to this hadith and say, oh, the prophet said this. Yes, he said this to one woman in one situation. Specific circumstances. Very specific circumstances for her safety and for her marital accord. Okay. The prophet, peace be upon him had general, like actually said general rules to Muslims about women in the mosque, namely, do not prevent the God's, um, God's believing women from God's houses, so mosques of God. And he was very clear on this, and that's the general rule. And all of his companions understood it to be so, to the point where, you know, his close companion, Umar radiallahu anhu, he didn't like his wife going to the mosque, but she was like, oh, you're going to stop me? How are you going to stop me? <laughs> like, the problem. And, and so he said, like, I can't stop her. And and um, 
their son again so later the, the the children of the companions just a generation later you know kind of complained and he said you know people are preventing women from going to to the mosque and um you know one of the other like they're known as tabi'in so they're that second generation of muslims they didn't live they didn't live with a prophet um, you know, he said, oh, by God, like, I will prevent my women from going to the mosque. And so the rejoinder to him was, you know, how on earth, like, who are you? The prophet said, do not prevent women from going to the mosque. Who are you to go against the word of the prophet? And so for me, I'd like to actually push that question right back to the men and the women who are using one specific um, direction to one specific woman in one specific, you know, experience situation. Why, why for them is that more important or elevated more, universalized, than the actual universal uh, teaching and ruling of the Prophet, peace be upon him? What is it in their interior, you know, kind of view of women and view of also Islam as a religion for humanity? Um, what is it in them that elevates that specific uh, situation that specific essentially license it wasn't a ruling it was a license to her for for her to pray at home uh, and then say oh no this is by binding for all women of, at all time and the last thing I want to say and I'm sorry I'm so passionate about this um, no I love it I can feel it and it's making me excited it's like coming right yeah. through the screen the last thing I want to say about is this is also like Islamic law is not a static thing it's always yes. recreated, right? It's always yes. looking at the context in which um, Muslims are living. And if you're mm -hmm. in America in 2021, you're coming out of COVID, inshallah, and people have been dealing with a lot of loss. People are, we're just coming out of one of the most racist, xenophobic, and, you know, Islamophobic presidencies ever. Um, people want men and women and girls and boys want they're looking for spiritual guidance. You're really going to tell half that community, actually more than half they that community, go. that they can't go? Like, are you really going to say, oh, no, the mosque is not for you, for, for you Muslim women or your children under the age of 10 uh, or the girls or your non-Muslim. Or only the body trained. Or, or if you do, yeah, no behind that wall or curtain. I heard the craziest the stories, you guys. Like, there's a mosque here in Chicago that doesn't let babies in with diapers. Like, if your baby's in a diaper, they're not allowed. I've heard that. Oh, that yeah. is wild. Yeah. Which um, one is it? Now I need to know. Call yeah. it out. I'll text it to you. <laughs> text it to me. Call it out. I think what your question is, Hind, is a good question. Like, why would you grab the information that you want to mm -hmm. and not use the actual general ruling that's supposed to apply, the general yeah. ruling of the Prophet ﷺ, you do that for control and power. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we see all kinds of people doing that, taking the facts that they like mm -hmm. and promoting those and using those to elevate themselves and yeah. boost themselves mm -hmm. and oppress others. Yep. And this this, these particular hadiths are tacked on, the specific ones that you were talking about, um, that we're talking about right now, were grabbed by communities that were probably not literate in Arabi anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll say that for my community, which makes up the majority of Muslims on the planet. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, they don't speak Arabic. 
not one of their hundred languages is Arabic, but they're the ones interpreting it. So maybe they don't know the tafsir of the hadith or the background and yeah. circumstance and the context of the hadith that you must study as well as the, the, the actual words. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are communities that historically were not traditionally Muslim. They came to Islam, but they came from communities and tribes that were very misogynistic. Yeah. And these particular hadiths spoke to that misogyny and, and spoke they- to the need control women let them come into the space they will get education education always means freedom Mm -hmm. we can't let them have it exactly so keep them out of the space that is god's space and god's house and god's knowledge and we can control them for posterity Mm -hmm. you know it's like what my mom always says um you know to her students that like you have to be able to including including her non-arabic students right like a lot of south asian a lot of african-american other non-arabs you have to know arabic so that you can do the research on your own you have to be able to have access to these hadiths and to the scholarship so that you can say to people wait a minute what like your interpretation is is not correct and it's not just not correct that it's incorrectness is harmful like looking at looking at the laws looking at the the tradition um and then saying okay well what makes sense for us in the 21st century um in terms of serving the muslim community and the non-muslim community 100 and i and i do want to caution those who are hearing because i know you're out there and you're hearing islam doesn't change with time islam is like forever it is it is it is okay we're not saying that what we're Mm -hmm. saying is that um Sharia law, two scariest words in the media, I'm telling you, yes. <laughs> Sharia law um, is not pliable and not changeable, but it is relative, mm-hmm. yes. okay? So it is relative to the circumstances. It's relative to the place. We are not a black and white people. Mm-mm. If we were, we would not be the middle way. We would not be, you know, um, from the Prophet Sallallahu who was the mercy to mankind and he was the most merciful and he would never do anything that was so black and white. It was dynamic in his lifetime and he would he would decide what applied to whom. Mm-hmm. That's why Sharia law is not this big scary thing, not for mm-hmm. Muslims, certainly not for non-Muslims because honestly, guys, we're so busy with our own garbage, we don't have time to apply it to it you doesn't, It doesn't so, apply to non-Muslims. It does, it can't, first of all. <laughs> yeah. And it's not coming to get you. Yeah. It never has. So just take a chill pill. Um, but for those who are hearing like, oh, Islam changes, we're trying to say that Islam changes, you have to change it just because it's 2021. That's not what we're saying. Yeah. We're saying that it is circumstantial, it is relative, and you need somebody more educated and definitely literate in the Arabi mm-hmm. to, you know, if you're going to rely on somebody to interpret it for you, please let it be somebody who's you know, knowledgeable, well versed in the actual language itself, and not somebody who's like a generational Malana who is interpreting it based on you know the little gully of the village of the tribe in the north of the country of the frontier in the mountains that doesn't see that doesn't have a bus or mm-hmm. a road. You know, like it matters yeah. where your knowledge is coming from. So please um, take it all with a grain of salt until you can verify mm-hmm. it. Did I miss anything, Hint? Just and you have the right to access that knowledge yourself. Like you, ha- like yes. there's no clerical like hierarchy in our tradition. Uh, there's no barrier for for women. There there should be no barrier. And there, you know, actually, zakat one of one of the um, 
uh, kind of categories of zakah, which is the obligatory charity that women that, that Muslims give, is for a student of knowledge because Islam does not, you know, say only the elite <laughs> can pursue knowledge. So you have the right you and to to pursue that knowledge and please do for. And I'm so happy that we have a lot of women now who not only have pursued that knowledge uh, in Islamic sciences, but are also now teaching it. Um, yes. And now, especially like post-COVID or during, uh, I don't want to say post-COVID, I don't want to jinx anything. <laughs> <laughs> during COVID, um, we, we've seen women, uh, women scholars being so accessible online because it's online, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's made the world a lot smaller, yes, alhamdulillah. Yes. So we are super excited. And we, um, I think we at Mommy One Muslim at least are committed to making sure that mantles do not exist. We do appreciate very much those imam allies and male allies who have come forward. Mm -hmm. And when they see those mantles advertised and their names or faces are on there to say, I will not mm -hmm. sit on a mantle unless you have a sister representing. Because alhamdulillah, as you said, they're there. We have those sisters um, and they don't need to be tokenized. Mm -mm. You don't need to just pick out, you know, like the doctor mom that you know from the community or, you know, the Islamic school principal. You have actual female scholars that can speak to the same issues more, um, at the same level, if not better. Mm -hmm. Uh, and more accurately and more in tune with the audiences that they're serving. So thank you to those allies. Um, Zeba, did you have any other questions? No, I'll, all I know is that, you know, between the six boys, between the two of us, you know, we're definitely oh, going to make them advocates. Like we're going to make them advocates for that because they see some powerful mamas um, on the panels that we're on. So I have to say that is 100 percent for sure. Um, so we're going to do a quick, uh, a quick rapid fire with you, Hind. Are you ready for this? Yes, I'm a little scared. It's always scary. <laughs> it's so fun. The timer starts. Now, if you were to have all the extra time in the world, what would you do? Travel. Oh, girl, yes, even after COVID. <laughs> what makes you really uneasy right now? The, um, the relaxation of all the people who are political activists during Trump. They seem to be taking a breather, but we can't take a breather. Can't take a breather and silence is deafening people. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing crickets. What are you the most afraid of? <laughs> uh, most afraid, the same, actually the same thing that, that, the, that the silence of, uh, you know, activists will actually just lead uh, us right back to the status quo. And our, our last piece, the best piece of advice you've ever been given. Oh my goodness. Uh, Listen to and read every aspect of an argument, before, oh, even even if you already have a point of view. Thank you so much, Hint, for you know taking us to school. We really appreciate it. Please text me that name of the mosque in <laughs> Chicago, and hopefully, inshallah, I finally get to come after almost two yes. years, and maybe we'll see each other, inshallah. Yes, this definitely. 
Yeah, no, we really appreciate this. And you are one of our sheroes on socials. And we would love for our audience to know where to find you in case they decide not to read the show notes Uh that we take the trouble to write every week. Read the show notes, guys. It also makes it accessible to people. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Hindmeki or at side underscore entrance. You can find me on Instagram at at (laughs) side entrance. And I'm on Facebook, but it's mostly, I'm a little bit more silent on that. I wanted to say, if I could just give a shout out to a couple of organizations that I think are doing a great job of uh, not having mantles. Uh, One is Celebrate Mercy. Uh, They seem to be doing a great job. Uh, The other one is ISNA. You know, since COVID started, every other week they have a woman giving the Friday, like, sermon Diane and they do that very intentionally I think that's really important and the last thing I wanted to to mention is uh, I think it was the last full night like the the day before one of the last nights of Ramadan that Islah LA which is a mosque out in LA uh, led by their Imam Jihad Safar and uh, Ustaza Maryam Amir who is a scholar out of the Bay Area they had this phenomenal like multi-hour session of Quran reciters from around the world, men and women, people of varying kind of uh, expertise of Quran recitation, every ethnicity that you could imagine. And it was beautiful and amazing. And one of the imams um, who was reciting actually said something that before even that event, even, even though he accepted the invitation, uh, and even though he has a daughter and his wife is a Quran teacher and his daughter as well as his son are learning Quran, that he didn't fully internalize why it was important to have public Quran recitation by women um, for his daughter and for his son until mm-hmm. that event. And so I'm actually for your show notes. I'm going to send you guys the link. It's from YouTube. It is just amazing. To, to see the, the diverse. So I wanted to give a shout out as well to Islah LA and generally shout out to African-American Muslim community in this country, which does not have this problem. <laughs> um, you know, their mosques are fully accessible. To women. Mm-hmm. We found out from um, socials from a lot of our sisters in Africa about how shocked they were oh, yeah. when they came to American Masajid and saw barriers. They were like, what is what this? Is this? And why and are we doing we're it? Completely uncivilized. And I'm like, <laughs> sisters, help us. Yeah. Like, please teach us. No, I love the shout outs. Thank you so much. And we will definitely include that YouTube video link in our show notes. And we do um, hope that everybody tunes into our panel power panel earlier today, finds Hind and the movements that she's a part of and stays active because we got to keep talking. We got to keep working. We got to keep staying uncomfortable because that's how change happens, guys. Um, Thank you so much for for another episode. Thank you for the invitation. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzma on Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Momming While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.